It is great to see everybody here today. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, the Huskies won yesterday, so I'm a happy guy. Uh, it took uh, three weeks, but uh, at least we made it. How did the Cougars do? Did they win? Uh, let's not talk about that. Hey, last week we kicked off 60 Days of Spiritual Growth. And I want to challenge you, if you weren't here, to listen to the lesson uh, from last weekend and catch up. Make sure you pick up some of the stuff out at the uh, Connection Center. We've got uh, study guides. We've got wristbands. What time is it? Look at your wristband. Rethink happiness time. Uh, there are stickers, all sorts of things to kind of help you keep this on the front burner. But I really want to challenge you to take these next 60 days and go deep with God. You know, watch the weekly messages. Get your study guide. You know, there's a daily devotional every single day on Facebook. I encourage you to, to friend me. Uh, watch our uh, pastor's daily vlogs during the weekday. Our team's doing a great job. You know, use this as a small group study guide or use it as a personal devotional guide, whatever works best for you. And uh, join one of the many groups that are going on. We've got rooted groups. We've got rethink groups. There's groups on Sunday. There's groups uh, Sunday morning, I should say, Sunday night, during the week, Wednesday night, many different classes that you can be a part of. And we just want to encourage you to be a, a, a part of one of those groups. And then pray every day, God, help me grow in you. Help me go far, climb high, go deep in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, there are a lot of peripheral topics going on all around us. There's so many subjects that people are fighting for. And what I want to challenge us over these next 10 weeks is to make sure the main thing is the main thing, and that is Jesus. Can I hear a big amen? amen? The main thing, the main person in our life must be Jesus. May we live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus, and lead other people to do the very same thing. So I just want to encourage you to make that just a real focus, a real goal, as we seek to be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, I challenged you to get serious, and I shared a story from our family, a story that uh, uh, many of you heard, and I'm not going to retell the story, but I'm going to add just a detail or two. Uh, our oldest son has been deployed for the last four months, and about a month ago, he went off the grid, and we weren't quite sure where he was, somewhere in the Middle East. And then uh, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, my daughter-in-law received a text from him, and he said, hey... I'm leaving Kabul. We had no idea we, he was in Afghanistan. All the horrific pictures I saw on the news, he was right in the middle of it. And what I didn't share last week is that uh, he said, hey, Dad, I was uh, down there at the place of the explosion about a day or two before it happened. I mean, my heart sank through the floor when I heard that. And then he shared a little bit with all of us about some, a coworker that he worked real closely with, uh, Marine Sergeant Rosario, who passed away in the blast. And he just told us about how uh, you know, amazing person she was and how horrific it was when fellow Marines heard about the loss of, of uh, Sergeant Rosario. It was interesting, as I was getting ready to preach last Sunday, I noticed just the day before was her memorial service on 9-11. I, I share that story and just kind of a couple extra details today just to remind us of what you already know. This life we live is serious there's no time to goof around. There's no time to mess around. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that. But I just want to remind you of what you already know. And the most important person in our life needs to be Jesus Christ. We need to get more serious about our faith in Christ. We need to decide to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead other people to Jesus like never, ever before. And over these 10 weeks, we're studying the eight Beatitudes of Jesus as we rethink what it means to be happy. We take a look at the eight secrets 
of a happy life. And I just want to encourage you, as you see on the screen, to read Scripture intensely these 10 weeks. Pray passionately, serve lovingly, give generously, obey relentlessly, love deeply. What does it mean to be happy? When you think about happiness, what, what makes you happy? If you were to answer the question, I will be happy when dot, 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 what would you say? How would you fill that in? You know, I'll be happy when this happens. I'll be happy because this happens. You know, what, what does it mean uh, to be happy? You know, my grandson is two and a half years old, and uh, Rowan and I have deep theological discussions about happiness. Uh, and, uh, you know, things like, hey, is it more happy to stay outside or should we go in and have dinner? Outside, always. Hey, it's starting to rain. Should we go inside or should we stay outside? Outside in the rain. That's far better than going inside. Uh, or is it time to go to bed or play with the puppy? You know, deep theological discussions about happiness. We uh, drove to the uh, ocean about a month ago, and uh, my daughter-in-law, Rachel, was talking to Rowan in the back seat, and and they were having a conversation about, is this a sad day or a happy day? And it happened to be a sad day because one of his toys wasn't working right. Uh, one of his gadgets where he was watching the uh, scientific documentary entitled Go Dogs Go. Anybody know that scientific documentary? It wasn't working quite right, and so it was a sad day. And then things changed a little bit later, and it was working, and it became a happy day. Rowan knows what happiness is all about. Now, he may not be able to recite the eight secrets of a happy life, but you want to know something? Neither do a lot of youth and neither do a lot of adults. And that's why over these next 10 weeks, I want you to dig deep with me as we look into what Jesus Christ has to say about what it means to be happy. You know, my uh, son, as you uh, probably saw, those that follow me on Facebook, uh, graduated from the UW Law School in the spring. And, I, uh, and then he sat for the bar exam soon thereafter, and I said, hey, are you happy that that's done? And he said to me, Dad, I will not be happy until September comes and I hear how well I did. <laughs> well, he heard last week that he uh, passed with flying colors. So it's a happy day. Happy day. Happy day. And Lisa and I feel very defended. We have two captains in the Army and one attorney. How many know that is really, really being defended? So we are very, very, very happy. Uh, what does it mean to be happy? What makes you happy? Money? Probably family, relationships, good health. What does it mean to be happy? What makes you happy? Happiness means many things to many different people. To a lot, it's the American dream. A new job, more money, a new boat, a bigger house, that brings happiness. According to Carlin Flora of Psychology Today, she said in 2000, 50 books were written on happiness during that whole year. By the time we got to 2008, that number grew to 4,000 different books on happiness and has grown ever since. She says, according to some measures, as a nation, we've grown sadder and more anxious during the same years that the happiness movement has flourished. According to David Shimmer of the New York Times, he says, now many, many colleges are offering courses and studies in what it means to be happy. And he talks about Yale University, which has become kind of a leader in this area, and the most popular class in this prestigious school's history is a class on happiness. Almost 25% of Yale's undergrads take the course, and Dr. Lori Santos, who teaches the course, says students want to change, they want to be happier. One of the students who took the class at Yale said this, in reality, a lot of us are anxious, stressed, unhappy, 
and numb. Even Bristol University in England offers a 12-week class, How to Achieve Happiness. Well, that's a prestigious place, but I want to tell you, no matter what their 12-week class offers, my 10-week sermon series is going to be far better than that. <laughs> Actually, it's not my 10-week sermon series. It's Jesus's. Because we're looking at his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. These are the words of Jesus, the happiest person who ever lived and the one who knows the most about what it means to be happy. According to an NBC poll, Americans are, are the unhappiest they've been in 50 years. Think about that. If you were to measure your happiness quotient on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being really, really happy, where would you peg yourself? Some would probably say 7, 8, or 9. Some would probably say 5 or 6, and some would say 1, 2, or 3. Where would you peg yourself? Marcus Aurelius said, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. Therefore, guard accordingly and take care that you entertain no notions unsuitable to virtue and reasonable nature. And when I read that, I think to myself, Rob, you need to make sure that you guard your mind and you focus your life on the virtues of Jesus. Make it specific. I want to think like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to lead like Jesus. I want the virtues, the, the, the eight beatitudes to be true in my life and flow through my life. I know you want that too. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. We must anchor ourselves deep in Jesus. We must immerse ourselves in Jesus if we want to find the key to what it means to be happy. Jesus says, happy are you, blessed are you, happy are you if you do these eight things. Happy are you if you live out these eight things. Happy are you if these eight beatitudes are evidenced in your life. This is the mark of true happiness. It's an internal joy in an eternal God. So let's look at the first secret. We need to accurately assess ourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 3 says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Last week, we introduced the Beatitudes by focusing on three words, quintessential, sequential, and radical. The essence of the teachings of Jesus, many have said, is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But the essence of the essence are the first 12 verses of chapter 5, and that's the Beatitudes. The quintessential teachings of Jesus, the most important, the, 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 the most profound, the most vital. If you get anything, make sure you get these. It's the 12 verses of chapter 5, the eight Beatitudes of Christ. It is the most important teaching of Jesus. And these Beatitudes are sequential. I think it's important. We're looking at Beatitude number one today, and it's important to know that if we don't get this one, none of the others matter. We've got to get this one right. We need to understand what it means to be poor in spirit. We need to embrace it and be immersed in it and live it out in our life. We've got to know what it means. We've got to know how to apply it to our life, and we will by the time we're done here today. And the radical. The Beatitudes were radical. They were, I mean, Jesus turned things upside down or right side up, if you want to put it that way. I mean, his listeners 
heard him talk about these eight Beatitudes, and they said, this doesn't make sense. This isn't how we think. This, this can't be true. This can't be real. And Jesus made it profound and made it clear and made it come home to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he said. Quintessential, sequential, and radical. This first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus is saying, you need to understand this. You are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. You are out at sea, drowning, and you are underwater, and there is no way, no how you're going to survive. You need a Savior. You need a lifeline. You need someone to save you. <laughs> this flies in the face of the human arrogance of our day. Narcissism is everywhere you look. Hubris, everywhere you look. You know, we think that we are self-made and self-sufficient and we can do anything and we don't need any help. And maybe that attitude has a place when you want to persevere and persist and have a bit of grit in finishing your education or doing well at your job or that kind of thing. But when it comes to spiritual matters, it is absolutely the worst of the worst of the worst. We need to understand that we're poor in spirit. We are sinners we are dirty, rotten sinners, and we cannot save ourselves. People are here listening to me today saying, Rob, you're making me feel bad. No, I'm trying to help you understand who you really are. Accurately assess yourself. I need to look in the mirror and say, I am a dirty, rotten sinner. There is no hope for me outside of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, he came and made a difference in my life. Can I hear a big amen out there? But it starts with this clear understanding, this attitude of being. The world does not revolve around me. If there's anyone great, and there is, it's Jesus. The unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, and bowing down at the shrine of self, must be, needs to be swept away and removed from our life. There's a human credo that says, it's all about me, 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 me. we got to fight it. We don't see ourselves clearly, not even kind of. Jesus says, it is not about you. When it comes to eternal life and joy and happiness, there is no way you are going to find it except through me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Makarios, happy, blessed. So what does being poor in spirit mean? We need to realize three things real quickly. Number one, I need to realize that I'm nothing in and of myself. I'm nothing without God. We've already said it. I desperately need a Savior. I cannot save myself. On one hand, I'm nothing. There's nothing righteous, inherently good in me that allows me to deserve eternal life. On the other hand, I'm everything because Jesus Christ gave his all for me. He loved me so much. He came and he died on the cross so that through faith in him, I can have everlasting life, forgiveness of sin, and live in eternity. But on my own, I'm absolutely, absolutely nothing. There's no inherent value in me. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who knows that. Blessed is the one who understands their poor in spirit because once they understand they're nothing and they need a savior, then the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you who know that you are poverty-stricken. 
William Barclay, in his excellent commentary, talks about two Greek words for poor. And I think this is really, really important. Listen to this because I think it really drives it home. Pennies and tokos. Pennies means you're poor. You have some necessities. You have some food, some shelter, some clothing, but, but you're really, really poor. I was reading about Afghanistan, and as many of you know, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. One half of its population will require human, humanitarian aid this year, and about 90% of the people are living below the poverty line, making only $2 per day. How far is $2 a day going to go for you? We've done many missions trips around the world. We've worked with many poor, poor people. And so we understand what that's like. We work with the local church, and we provide a lot of compassion, humanitarian aid to build up the local church as they reach out and help their people with food and clothing and, and those kind of necessities. We think that's important. The second Greek word is tokos. This means destitute. You have nothing. You don't have a poor quality of something. You don't have any quality of anything. You're not down to your last dime. You're down to your last nothing. You have no hope. There's nothing. You're destitute, completely reliant on someone else. Which of these two words do you think Jesus uses when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit? You guessed it. It's tokos. He says, Rob, you are destitute. You are absolutely without any inherent spiritual value in and of yourself. There is nothing in you, Rob, that earns you eternal life. Nothing. You are sinking deeper, 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 deeper in an ocean of sinfulness. You are a carnal man. You need to understand it. You need to accurately assess yourself. You need to understand that you are poor in spirit. The word spirit really means the essence of a man, the inner self. So when you combine those, poor in spirit, one who is aware that there's nothing in self that adds any spiritual value. Happy is a person who recognizes that they are nothing. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are nothing. Go ahead and do it. Hey, wait, some of you are doing that with too much joy. <laughs> Knock that off. That wasn't what I meant by that. <laughs> When's the last time you acknowledged, Lord, I come with nothing. I am nothing. I have no hope in and of myself. All that I am and I ever hope to be is in you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You came and died on the cross and turned my nothingness into something. And now I have the hope of everlasting life. The antithesis of poor in spirit is a doctrine of humanism that says man is the greatest. Man is the greatest. No, God is the greatest. I was reading an article that came out of the UK, out of the Times, and it says... Here, that Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, is one of the investors in a well-funded Silicon Valley startup recruiting some of the world's top genetic scientists to seek the secrets of eternal life. Well, I need to get a hold of Jeff, and I need to say, Jeff, 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 let me save you some money. You can donate that instead to BCA. I can tell you the secret of eternal life. It's right here in the Bible. It's Jesus Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noon, and Jesus at night, Jesus all day long. There's only one way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then no one comes to the Father except through.
through Jesus. Some of the great hymns of the church carry such incredible theology and communicate truth in such a meaningful way. And Rock of Ages, I think, poetically describes what it means to be poor in spirit. Listen to these words. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Jesus' message back then, as it is today, was counterculture. If you want to be happy, if you want to understand the secret to the happy life, you need to get this first beatitude right, Jesus says. Understand you are poor in spirit and you desperately need a savior. It's the first secret to a happy life. The second thing we need to realize, and it's really you know, the other side of the same coin, is we need to empty self of self. And by this I mean we need to detach ourselves from stuff and make sure we are attached to God. There is so much in this world that can become the priority in our life. You know it as well as I do. It's true for all of us, every single one of us. And we need to work at saying, Lord, less of me and more of you, less of me and more in you. We need to detach self from stuff and attach ourselves to God over and over and over again. Look at these two vital ideas here. You cannot be filled until you're first empty. This is a principle we see over and over again in Scripture. We need to be emptied of self. Empty self of self so there's room for God. If you're so full of yourself, you don't have any room for God. It's a counterculture message. It was hard for the people of Jesus' day to understand and appreciate. We're addicted to self. We're self-aholics. This is one big self-aholic support group. Hi, my name's Rob, and I'm a self-aholic. <laughs> and so are you, if the truth be known. We all bow down at the shrine of self. We all struggle with self-centeredness. It's something that we need to daily commit over to Christ. Less of me and more of you, less of me and more of you. That's my desire, Lord. We need to check into rehab for self-addicts. And we need Christ Almighty to help flush that out of our life. The second thought is salvation does not come by struggle but by surrender. We need to surrender to God and ask him to fill us with his life. You see, the Jews had 613 laws. As Jesus is on the Mount of Beatitudes and he's talking to the people, they're thinking, wait a second, if I keep these 613 laws perfectly, I can make my way to peace with God in heaven. Jesus says, no. You don't make it through struggle. You make it through surrender. You need to completely surrender everything to me if you want to be members of the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You cannot do enough good works. You cannot do enough good acts. You cannot earn eternal life. Even if you could keep 613 laws perfectly, which you can't, nobody ever could, that wouldn't even do it. Neither would 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000. There's nothing you can do. Personalize it. There's nothing you can do, Rob, to earn eternal life on your own. Salvation doesn't come by struggle. It comes by surrender. I need to admit I'm bankrupt. I need God. 
I need a Savior. John the Baptist prayed, may I decrease and may you increase. John 3.30. And Isaiah said in Isaiah 64.6, all of my righteousness amounts to what? A pile of what? Filthy rags. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says this is where it starts. You want to get on a road to happiness? You need to make the main thing the main thing. You need to start by accurately assessing yourself, realizing that there is one God and you're not it. He's God and you're in need of a Savior. You say, Rob, you're really beating on my self-esteem today. You know, this is not about low self-esteem. It's about your inherent righteousness which is absolutely worthless. <laughs> and if that does something to your self-esteem, uh, maybe you're not understanding me. The point is we are unrighteous. We are carnal. We are sinners. We need a Savior. Paul says it well in Ephesians 2.10. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, verse number one. And then he goes on to talk about uh, how we followed after the desires of the flesh and the sinful cravings of the flesh. Verse number four, he says, but because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. Verse eight, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God not of works so that no man can boast. It's by grace through faith, not of works. You can't earn eternal life. It's grace and faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no way a sinful man can find his way to a holy God. The Jews thought they could do it with 613 laws. I like to show these pictures periodically and I have during Easter but, you know, this chasm called sin separates us forever and ever from an eternal God. And there's no way we can jump that chasm. There's no way we can get across that chasm in and of ourselves. There's only one bridge, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ is the only way. We are poor in spirit. We are nothing without Christ. But with Christ, we can have reconciliation, and we can become one with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? It's about Jesus Christ and our faith in him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they need a Savior and who wholeheartedly commit themselves to the Savior, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin. The Romans road, which we talk about from time to time, is such a powerful groupings of Scripture. And I want to just highlight a couple of them real quickly here. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the gospel message. We've all sinned. And we fall short of God's glory. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So even though our sins wants to take us down, by putting our faith in Christ, we can be lifted up and spend eternity in heaven. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Once we ask Christ to come into our life and forgive us of our sins, we are no longer condemned. We are no longer beaten down by our sin, but we have been forgiven, and we're on our way to heaven. Praise be to God. That if we confess, our, that if we confess with our mouth, Romans 10.9 says, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what those that were baptized 
earlier in the service were, were doing. They were giving a public testimony that there has been a time in the recent past where they had confessed Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God had raised him from the dead, and they were saved. And so many of you have done the same thing. And if you're here today and you have not yet done that, I encourage you today to become poor in spirit, to recognize you need a Savior and confess that Jesus Christ is that Savior who came and died for you. I was talking to a friend of mine who was relating the story of a, of a, of a Hindu uh, friend, a young man from India who was having a hard time understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally one Easter here in the last few years, it all came together for him and he recognized that there was nothing he could do to earn right standing before God. He needed to not struggle but surrender to Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And he was saved in that Easter service. A powerful story. Powerful story. I am hopeless and helpless without a Savior. Maybe you read the story dated August 29th, 2021, just three weeks ago. August 29th, 2021. It's horrific, it's frightening, and it really makes me nauseous. But it's the story, I'll give you the good news. A mom saves her five-year-old child from a mountain lion. Did you read that? I mean, a horrific, horrific story. And it tells the story of how this mom in California fights off a mountain lion with her bare hands. Go, mom, go. Powerful, powerful story. You can just imagine, uh, maybe, maybe kind of imagine what that might have looked like. A 65-pound lion dragged the boy 45 yards across the front lawn. The young boy suffered significant head and upper torso injuries, but at the time of the writing uh, of this uh, article several weeks ago was in stable condition. Here's what the article said. The true hero of the story is the mom, the boy's mom, because she absolutely saved her son's life. She was inside the house when she heard some commotion. She ran out and started punching and striking the mountain lion with her bare hands and got him off her son. The article says the mom saved her son's life. It reminds me of the metaphor that we read in the letter of Peter when he says, Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That son needed mom to save him. We desperately need to be saved. Self-aggrandizement, self-worship, self-sufficiency flies against the first beatitude. And once we're saved every single day, we need to offer prayers of gratitude. Lord, thank you for saving me. I was lost in my trespasses and sin, but thanks be to God, I have been rescued. I have been saved. I have been set free. Thanks be to God. I need to accurately assess myself. I am nothing. I need to empty myself of self. And then just finally, let me highlight this final thought. I need to also realize that denying self allows God to flourish in me and shine through my life. When I deny self, it gives more room for God to flourish and to flow through my life. I'm not mitigating his work. I'm not damning up his work. I'm not limiting his work. I'm not fighting his work. 
God's vision for your life is that you live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead other people to Jesus. It's what it means to be people of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. William Barclay says the word kingdom, the idea of kingdom, is the idea that connotes that's where God dwells. That's where God is. When we live out the principles of the kingdom, we are showcasing the fact that we are members of the kingdom. We're living kingdom life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Darwin Gray, in his book, The Good Life, says this, the deeper we immerse ourselves in Jesus and his kingdom, the more we are supernaturally sculpted into his image. I love that. Sculpted into his image, and the happier we become. That's a great quote. The deeper we immerse ourselves in Jesus and his kingdom, the more we are supernaturally sculpted into his image. I don't know about you, but I want to be more and more sculpted into his image, amen? And the happier we become. The eight Beatitudes are windows into what it means to be members of the kingdom. It's a, it's a picture that shows us what kingdom life really looks like. The eight Beatitudes. Living my life in devotion to Jesus is about daily saying no to self and yes to God. Let me say that again. Living as members of the kingdom is daily saying no to self and yes to God. Allowing God to flourish in my life is going to make me a better person. That means I need to every day say no to self and yes to God so he can flourish in me and shine through me. You want to be a better husband? Say no to self and yes to God. You want to be a better wife? Say no to self and yes to God. You want to be a better father, mother, parent? Say no to self and yes to God. You want to be a more devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Say no to self and yes to God. Not just once, not just twice, but every single day. No to self and yes to God. True followers are kingdom people who faithfully and vigorously live out these eight beatitudes. They are truly happy and fulfilled, Jesus says, because they're the ones that are living in the center of God's will. Blessed are the poor in spirit and who know that they're nothing without God. Being poor in spirit is saying no to self and yes to God over and over again. Being kingdom-minded, kingdom-hearted, kingdom-action-oriented, kingdom-devoted, kingdom-focused, kingdom-consumed. A follower of Jesus is a disciple. The word Christian is used to describe followers of Christ three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used 269 times. Think on that for a moment. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a student. A disciple is one who sits and soaks at the feet of the master. Disciples, devoted disciples, learners, students, followers of Jesus. That's what we are. That's who we are. We learn from Jesus. We sit at his feet. We sit and soak. We follow him relentlessly. Friends, make it your prayers. You leave this place in just a moment. Today, this week, this month, these 60 days, more than ever at any time in my life, I want to follow Jesus relentlessly. 
I want to think like him, live like him, speak like him, conduct my life in accordance with kingdom life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of a different realm. This earth is not our home. We're just passing through. Sojourners, pilgrims. We are part of another realm, another kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. Let's live like it. Let's act like it. Let's talk like it. Let's think like it. Let's pursue those things that are most important to our heavenly father. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is king. And his followers follow him. They live out, they flesh out the eight secrets of a happy life called the Beatitudes. As we close today, I want to encourage you to do three things. First of all, affirm. Affirm that you are nothing without Christ and you desperately need a Savior. And if you're here today or listening online or in one of our other services and you have not yet committed your life to Christ, today could be that day. I encourage you just to simply pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive my sins. I want to follow you the rest of my life. And if you pray that prayer, and I sincerely hope many people do here today, please tell me about it. Take that connection card online or in front of you if you're here in person. Drop it in the black box or submit it. We want to be in touch with you and help you with next steps. Help you join those that were water baptized here today. We have classes that I think you'll find very, very helpful. We want to help you take your next steps in what it means to follow Christ. Secondly, accept God's forgiveness and the gift of eternal life through Christ. If you've known Jesus for any length of time like I have, let's affirm that we need a Savior and then let's thank God that we have found him and we have received eternal life. And then acknowledge. Acknowledge that Jesus is king of our life and purpose to live for him every single day. Lord, we bow our hearts and heads in prayer and we say thank you. Thank you that you didn't just leave us drowning out in the middle of the ocean of sin. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ not only to teach us and show us the way, but eventually to die on a cross for our sins. Help us to internalize what it means to be poor in spirit. We are completely destitute without God. We are dependent on God. We need a Savior. And thanks be to God, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross and save us for our sins. It is the fundamental message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we say thank you. Now I pray for all my friends here today and for myself that, Lord, you will help us like never before, earnestly, seriously, vigorously, rigorously, live out, flesh out what it means to be Christian, what it means to be a devoted disciple of Christ, what it means to be people of the kingdom. May people who see us know that we are a part of a different realm. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. And the way we think and the way we speak and the way we act is totally different, totally different. So challenge us today, Holy Spirit of God. Challenge us, speak into our life, lift the level of our, our living, uh, give us a deep desire to go deeper and climb higher in our faith with Christ. May we become more and more and more like Jesus. As we do, we'll find Makarios, happiness, an internal joy anchored in an eternal God. 
And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing, and then uh, we're going to close our service. Our prayer team is here at the end of the service. We'd love to pray with you for any reason whatsoever. Let's sing together.